Chapter Three of Treachery in Outer Space by Carrie Rockwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. It's about time you got here. Charlie Britt glared angrily at his chief pilot, Quint Miles, as he sauntered into the office and flopped into a chair. I had a heavy date last night. I overslept, the spaceman replied, yawning loudly. We're late for Strong's meeting over at the academy, Brett snapped. Get up. We've got to leave right away. Quint Miles looked at the other man, his black eyes gleaming coldly. I'll get up when I'm ready, he said slowly. The two men glared at each other for a moment, and finally Brett lowered his eyes. Miles grinned and yawned again. Come on, said Brett in a less demanding tone. Let's go. No use getting Strong down on us before we even get started. Steve Strong doesn't scare me, replied Miles. All right, he doesn't scare you. He doesn't scare me either, said Brett irritably. Now that we both know neither of us is scared, let's get going. Quint smiled again and rose slowly. You know something, Charlie? He said in a deceptively mild voice. One of these days you're going to get officious with the wrong spaceman, one that isn't as tolerant as I am and you're going to be pounded into space dust. Quint Miles stood in front of Brett's desk and stretched like a languid cat. Brett noted the powerful hands and arms and depth of the shoulders and chest, all emphasized by the tight-fitting clothes the spaceman affected. The man was dark and swarthy and dressed all in black. Brett had often imagined that if the devil ever took human form, it would look like Quint Miles. He shivered uncontrollably and waited. Finally, Miles turned to him, a mocking smile on his face. Well, Charlie, what are we waiting for? A few moments later, they were speeding through the broad streets of Atom City in a jet cab on the way to the Atom City spaceport. What's this all about? demanded Quint, settling back in his seat. Why the rush call? I didn't get the contract to haul the crystal, replied Brett grimly. All the bids were so close, the Solar Council decided to have a space race out to Titan, to pick the outfit that would get the job. Quint turned toward him, surprised. But I thought you had it all sewed up tight, he exclaimed. I thought after you got your hands on the... Shut up, interrupted Brett. The details on the specifications leaked out. Now the only way I can get the contract is to win the race. And I'm the guy to do it? asked Quint with a smile. That's what you're here for. If we don't win this race, we're finished, washed up. Who else is in the race? Every other major space freight outfit in the system, replied Brett grimly, and Kit Barnard. Has Barnard got that new reactor of his working yet? I don't think so, but I have no way of telling. If he has, you're not going to win this race, said Quint, shaking his head, nor is anyone else. You are here for one reason, said Brett pointedly. I know, Quint grinned, to win a race. Right. Quint laughed. With those heaps you fooled people into thinking are spaceships? Don't make me laugh. There are going to be time trials before the race, said Brett. The three fastest ships are going to make the final run. I'm not worried about the race itself. I've got a plan that will assure us of winning. It's the time trials that's got me bothered. Leave that to me, said Quint. The jet cab pulled up to the main gate of the spaceport, and the two men got out. Far across the field... A slender, needle-nosed ship stood poised under stabilizer fins, ready for flight. 
She was black, except for a red band painted on the hull across the forward section and around the few viewports. It gave her the appearance of a huge, laughing insect. Quint eyed the vessel with a practiced eye. I'll have to soup her up, he commented. She wouldn't win a foot race now. Don't depend too heavily on your speed, said Brett. I would just as soon win by default. After all, he continued, looking at Miles with calculating eyes, serious accidents could delay the other ships. Sure, I know what you mean, replied the spaceman. Good. Brett turned away abruptly and headed for the ship, Quint following him. In a little while, the white-hot exhaust flare from the rocket tubes of the sleek ship spattered the concrete launching apron, and it lifted free of the ground. Like an evil predatory bug, the ship blasted toward the Academy spaceport. "'Well, blast my jets,' Astro gasped, stopping in his tracks and pointing. Tom and Roger looked out over the quadrangle, toward the Academy spaceport, where ship after ship, breaking jets blasting, sought the safety of the ground. "'Great galaxy!' exclaimed Tom, his eyes bulging. "'There must be a hundred ships!' "'At least,' commented Roger. "'But they can't all be here for the trials,' said Astro. "'Why not?' asked Roger. "'This is a very important race. "'Who knows what ship might win? "'It pays the company to enter every ship they have.' "'Roger's right, Astro,' said Tom. "'These fellows are playing for big stakes. "'Though I don't think there'll be more than 30 or 40 ships "'in the actual speed trials. "'See those big-bellied jobs? "'They're repair ships.' "'I hadn't thought about that,' acknowledged the big Venusian cadet. "'They'll probably be jazzing up these sleek babies, "'and that takes a lot of repair and work.' "'Come on,' said Tom. "'We've got to get over to the meeting. "'Captain Strong said he wanted us to be there.' The three cadets turned back toward the nearest slidewalk and hopped on. None of them noticed the black ship with the red band around its bow, which suddenly appeared over the field, rockets blasting loudly as it began to drop expertly to the ground. From early morning the skies of the academy had been vibrating to the thunderous exhausts of the incoming fleet of ships. Painted with company colors and insignia, the ships landed in allotted space on the field, and almost immediately mechanics, crew chiefs, and specialists of all kinds swarmed over the space vessels, preparing them for the severest tests they would ever undergo. The ships that actually were to make the trial runs were stripped of every spare pound of weight, while their reactors were taken apart and specially designed compression heads were put on the atomic motors. The entire corps of space cadets had been given a special three-day holiday to see the trials, and the academy buildings were decorated with multicolored flags and pennants. A festive atmosphere surrounded the vast solar guard installation. But in his office in the Tower of Galileo, Captain Strong paced the floor, a worried frown on his face. He stepped around his desk and picked up a paper and reread it for the tenth time. He shook his head and flipped open the key of his desk intercom, connecting him with the enlisted spaceman in the next office. Find Kit Barnard, spaceman, Strong called, and give him an oral message, personal. Tell him I said he can't use his reactor unit unless he changes it to a more standard operational design. Strong paused and glanced at the paper again. As it stands now, his reactor will not be approved for the trials, he continued. Tell him he has until midnight tonight to submit new specifications. As Strong closed the intercom key abruptly, the three members of the Polaris unit stepped into his office and saluted smartly. Strong looked up. Hello, boys. Sit down. He waved them to nearby chairs and turned back to his desk. 
The drawn expression of their unit commander did not go unnoticed. "'Is there something wrong, sir?' asked Tom tentatively. "'Nothing much,' replied Strong wearily. He indicated the sheaf of papers in front of him. "'These are the reactor unit specifications, submitted by the pilots and crew chiefs of the ships to be flown in the time trials. I've just had to reject Kit Barnard's specifications.' "'What was the matter?' asked Astro. "'Not enough safety allowance.' He's running too close to the danger point in feeding reactant to the chambers, using D-18 rate of feed, and D-9 is standard. What about the other ships, sir? asked Tom. Do they all have safety factors? Strong shrugged his shoulders. They all specify standard reaction rates without actually using figures, he said, but I'm certain that their feeders are going to be tuned up for maximum output. That's where your job is going to come in. You've got to inspect the ships to make sure they're safe. Then Kit Barnard put down his specifications, knowing that there was a chance they wouldn't pass, Tom remarked. Strong nodded. He's an honest man. The door opened and several men stepped inside. They were dressed in the mode of merchant space officers, wearing high-peaked hats, trim jackets, and trousers of a different color. Strong stood up to greet them. Welcome, gentlemen. Please be seated. We will begin the meeting as soon as all the pilots are here. Roger nudged Astro and whispered, What's the big deal about a D-18 rate and a D-9 rate? Why is that so important? It has to do with the pumps, replied the power deck cadet. They cool the reactant fuel to keep it from getting too hot and wildcatting. At a D-9 rate, the reactant is hot enough to create power for normal flight. Feeding at a D-18 rate is fine, too, but you need pumps to cool the motors, and pumps that could do the job would be too big. Kit's problem, commented Tom, is not so much building the reactor, but a cooling system to keep it under control. Will that make a big difference in who wins the race? asked Roger. With that ship of kits, said Astro, shaking his head. I doubt if he'd be able to even come close to the top speeds in the trials, unless he can use the new reactor. The room had filled up now, and Strong rapped on the desk for attention. He stared at the faces of the men before him, men who had spent their lives in space. They were the finest pilots and crew chiefs in the solar system. They sat quietly and attentively as Strong gave them the details of the greatest race of spaceships in over a hundred years. After Strong had outlined the plans for the time trials, he concluded, Each of you competing in the time trials will be given a blast-off time and an orbital course. Only standard Solar Guard approval equipment will be allowed in the tests. I will monitor the trials, and Space Cadets Corbett, Manning, and Astro will be in complete charge of all inspections of your ships. Strong paused and looked around. Are there any questions? When will the first ship blast off, Captain Strong? asked a lean and leathery-looking spaceman in the back of the room. First time trial takes off at 0600 hours tomorrow morning. Each ship has a designated time. Consult your schedules for the blast-off time of your ships. What if a ship isn't ready? asked Kit Barnard, who had slipped into the room unnoticed. Any ship unable to blast off at scheduled time, said Strong, finding it difficult to look at his old friend, will be eliminated. There was a sudden murmur in the room, and Quint Miles rose quickly. That's not much time to prepare our ships, he said. I don't know who's going to be first, but I can't even strip my ship by tomorrow morning, let alone soup up the reactant. His voice was full of contempt, and he glanced around the room at the other pilots. Seems to me we're being treated a little roughly. 
There were several cries of agreement. Strong held up his hand. "'Gentlemen, I know it's difficult to prepare a ship in twelve hours for a race as important as this one,' he said. "'But I personally believe that any spaceman who really wants to make it can make it.' "'Well, I'm not going to break my back to make a deadline,' snarled Quint. "'And I don't think any of the other fellows here will either. "'If you're scheduled to blast off tomorrow at zero six hundred hours, Captain Miles,' Strong announced coldly, "'and you're unable to raise ship, you will be eliminated.' Stifling an angry retort, Quint Miles sat down, and while Strong continued to answer questions, Astro, a worried frown on his face, stared at the spaceman dressed in black. Tom noticed it. "'What's wrong with you, Astro?' he asked. "'That spaceman, Miles,' replied Astro. "'I could swear I know him, yet I'm sure that I don't.' "'He's not a very ordinary-looking guy,' observed Roger. "'He's plenty big.' and he's so dark that it wouldn't be easy to mistake him. Still, said Astro, screwing up his forehead, I know I've seen him before. If there are no further questions, gentlemen, said Strong, we'll close this meeting. I know you're anxious to get to your ships and begin work. But before you go, I would like to introduce the cadet inspectors to you. Stand up, boys. Self-consciously, Tom, Roger, and Astro stood up while Strong addressed the pilots. Cadet Manning will be in charge of all electronics inspections, Cadet Astro in charge of the power deck, and Cadet Corbett will cover the control deck and overall inspection of the ship itself. Quint Miles was on his feet again, shouting, Do you mean to tell me that we're going to be told what we can and can't do by these three kids? He turned and glared at Tom. You come messing around my ship, Buster, and you'll be pitched out on your ear. If the cadets do not pass on your ship, said Strong, with a little more edge to his voice, it will not get off the ground. The two men locked eyes across the room. We'll see about that, growled Miles, and stalked out of the room, his heavy shoulders swinging from side to side in an exaggerated swagger. I believe that's all, gentlemen, announced Strong coldly, and spaceman's luck to each of you. After he had left, the three cadets crowded around Strong, "'Do you think we'll have any trouble with Miles, sir?' asked Tom. "'You have your orders, Tom,' said Strong. "'If any ship does not meet standards established for the race, it will be disqualified.' Astro stared at the doorway through which Quint Miles had disappeared. He scratched his head and muttered, "'If it wasn't for just one thing, I'd swear by the stars that he's the same spaceman who—' He stopped and shook his head. "'Who what?' asked Strong. "'Nothing, sir.' said Astro. I must be mistaken. It can't be the same man. I suggest that you sleep out at the spaceport tonight, said Strong. The first ship will have to be inspected before she blasts off, and that means you will have to look her over before six. Yes, sir, replied Tom. And watch out for Quint Miles, warned Strong. Yes, sir, said the curly-haired cadet. I know what you mean. End of chapter three.